Good morning. I'm James Holman from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Thursday, August 6th. In today's news, Facebook and Twitter penalize President Trump for posting coronavirus misinformation. Senate Republicans criticize Trump's plan to deliver his convention speech from the White House. And the initial shock over those explosions in Beirut turns into anger. But first, the big idea. As White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows left private talks last night on Capitol Hill with Democratic leaders Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer, he told reporters that the two sides, and this is a direct quote, continue to be trillions of dollars apart. Uh, That seems like a lot. For his part, President Trump has begun threatening to use executive power to act if Congress does not bend to his will and agree to a deal by the end of this week, i.e. tomorrow. The president said at a news conference last night that he is willing to unilaterally extend an eviction moratorium, suspend collection of the payroll tax, and boost unemployment benefits. In a sign the White House could be preparing to do these things, the Trump administration directed federal agencies to identify all of the money that they have not yet spent from the $2 trillion CARES Act, which passed in March. White House officials told Erica Werner, Karun Demirjian, and Jeff Stein that the lawyers are trying to figure out how they can redirect money appropriated for other purposes. Meadows said earlier Wednesday that if no deal is struck by Friday night, Further negotiation is pointless. Trump has long sought to suspend collection of the payroll tax, even though lawmakers in both parties oppose such a move. One of Trump's outside advisors, Stephen Moore, co-wrote an opinion piece on Sunday in the Wall Street Journal that alleged Trump could declare a national economic emergency to suspend collection of the tax. The issue of expired unemployment benefits has emerged as a big flashpoint in the actual negotiations themselves. Trump administration officials proposed reducing the figure to $400 a week through early December, but Democrats have refused to budge off their $600 figure. Democrats are seeking about a trillion dollars in new aid for states and localities that have laid off more than 1 million workers since February and that face the prospect of more mass layoffs because of a huge drop in tax revenue. Trump repeated his argument yesterday that Democrats are trying to bail out poorly managed states. The Trump administration is now offering $150 billion in state and local aid. Republicans are also arguing that other money, including $105 billion they've agreed to for schools, should qualify as state and local aid. That's an argument Democrats reject. White House and Democratic negotiators plan to reconvene tonight at 5 p.m. for what's expected to be a marathon session aimed at determining whether a deal is in reach. Now, most legal scholars dispute Trump's claims that he can use executive power in the absence of congressional action for pandemic relief. Trump has routinely asserted his outsized view of presidential power, of course, but his latest claims to unprecedented clout in recent weeks springs from an unlikely source, one of his defeats before the Supreme Court. The source of Trump's recent bravado appears to be provocative articles by a law professor at the University of California at Berkeley, whose expansive views of presidential power match Trump's own. John Yu, that professor, has proclaimed that Chief Justice John Roberts' opinion stopping the Trump administration from dismantling DACA, the program protecting young undocumented immigrants from deportation, was really a blessing in disguise for Trump. 
You contends that the decision allows presidents to take actions they know to be unlawful because it can require years of battles in the courts to undo them. To say that Yu's view of the high court's five to four decision is an outlier would be an understatement. Larry Tribe, for example, the longtime constitutional scholar at Harvard, said you, quote, must be on some kind of drug. The Supreme Court's decision was seen by almost every analyst as a check on presidential power, except you. He'll always be known in D.C. as the author of the so-called torture memos when he was a lawyer working in George W. Bush's Justice Department. Yu's memos condoned tactics such as severe sleep deprivation and waterboarding for terrorism suspects taken into custody and charged with no crimes. The memos were later renounced and overturned. You met last week with Trump in the Oval Office to discuss his zany theories and a new book he's written, which makes the case for a unitary executive. You told my colleague Bob Barnes, our Supreme Court correspondent, that Trump asked about his recent articles during that meeting. You said that he told Trump that if Barack Obama could choose not to enforce the immigration laws, there are many things Trump could choose not to enforce, including not collecting taxes. In a National Review article, you theorized that Trump could also create a national right to allow everyone to openly carry weapons. As you wrote, even if Trump knew this scheme lacked legal authority, he could get away with it for the length of his presidency before it was struck down by the Supreme Court. And that's the big idea. Here are three other headlines that should be on your radar. Number one, Facebook last night removed from Trump's official account the post of a video clip from a Fox News interview earlier in the day in which the president claimed that children are, quote, almost immune from COVID-19. Twitter required the Team Trump campaign account to delete a tweet with the same video, blocking it from tweeting in the interim. In the removed video, the president is arguing that schools can safely fully reopen and that they should. Both platforms have rules against spreading coronavirus misinformation. Technology reporter Heather Kelly reports that this decision represents something of an about-face for Facebook, whose chief executive Mark Zuckerberg has long resisted policing speech on the platform. Twitter, meanwhile, has taken a more aggressive stance, flagging several of Trump's tweets for misinformation and even blocking his son Don Jr. from tweeting for 12 hours for breaking its coronavirus misinformation rules. Well, many children have had milder symptoms from the virus. Researchers have found that they are still able to catch it and still able to spread it to other people, including adults and seniors at home and in school settings such as teachers. More than 240,000 children in America have been documented to have COVID-19, according to the CDC. Around 300 children have contracted a rare inflammatory disease due to COVID-19 called multi-system inflammatory syndrome, and at least six have died as a result. Number two, prominent Republicans on Capitol Hill pushed back on Trump's desire to deliver his convention speech from the White House. Senator John Cornyn of Texas called it problematic. John Thune of South Dakota questioned the legality of holding a political rally at the White House. And Ron Johnson of Wisconsin suggested that other plans should be made because it's probably not allowed. Republicans involved in the planning for the convention tell Michael Shearer and Josh Dossie that it's highly likely that Trump's speech will be delivered at the White House anyway, perhaps on the South Lawn, depending on the weather. But they added that various other locations are still being discussed. Vice President Pence is considering Fort McHenry in Baltimore, Maryland, the site of a major battle in the War of 1812, to give his convention speech. 
Meanwhile, Joe Biden announced that he will not travel to Milwaukee as planned for the Democratic convention. Instead, he'll deliver his speech accepting his party's nomination later this month in his home state of Delaware. And all the other speakers who had been planning to travel to Wisconsin will no longer do so. They'll appear virtually. Biden explained to donors during a fundraiser last night that local public health officials and the mayor didn't want a big group to congregate. And Biden said he's trying to, quote, set an example as to how we should respond individually to this crisis. We also got fundraising numbers last night. Trump outraised Biden in July by $25 million. The Trump campaign, the Republican National Committee, and various affiliated committees raised $165 million. Biden, the Democratic National Committee, and their joint fundraising committees raised $140 million. Trump's operation said it started this month with about $300 million cash on hand, while Biden reported about $294 million. Biden had outpaced Trump on fundraising in May and June, but Trump has resumed big money in-person fundraisers, while Biden continues to only do virtual Zoom fundraisers because of COVID. Trump, for example, appeared at a private fundraiser in Florida during July, where couples had to pay $580,000 and 600 bucks just to get in. Trump is slated to headline more high-dollar fundraising events later this week in the Hamptons. Number three, at least 135 are dead in Beirut. More than 3,000 are injured. More than 100 are still unaccounted for. And the local governor says more than 300,000 people in a city of 2.2 million have been left homeless. For seven years, residents of the Lebanese capital went about their daily lives unaware that 2,750 tons of a highly volatile explosive material were stored in the heart of their city like a ticking time bomb. After that material exploded Tuesday evening, a portrait has begun to emerge of the staggering malfeasance that allowed it to sit in a warehouse in Beirut's port for so many years and of the repeated warnings that were ignored for so long. Legal documents, court correspondence, and statements by public officials who are now trying to pass the buck shed light on the operations of the port, which has been dogged by allegations of widespread bribery and controlled in large measure by the militant group Hezbollah. Arms experts tell our correspondents in the Middle East, Sarah Dadouche, Loveday Morris, Suzanne Haidemus, and Joby Warwick, that the blasts are consistent with the official Lebanese explanation that this was an accidental explosion triggered by a vast stockpile of ammonium nitrate. Ammonium nitrate is unstable at high temperatures, and it is 40% as explosive as TNT. U.S. defense officials also said yesterday that despite Trump's suggestion that they told him otherwise, the explosions appear to have been an accident. And that's The Daily 202 for Thursday, August 6th. Thanks for listening. I'm James Holman. I'll talk to you tomorrow.